Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Suzanne Moore, a columnist and writer who writes about the politics of culture. Sometimes she writes personally, sometimes analytically. During a long career, she has written for everything from Marxism Today to The Mail on Sunday. And currently, she is at the Daily Telegraph, having left The Guardian over its refusal to defend women's rights. Moore also writes on her substat called Letters from Suzanne, where she tells me that she makes bad jokes too. She lives in London and has three children and two grandchildren and no hobbies. Suzanne Moore, welcome to Savage Minds. The pieces of yours and Julie Birchhill, while I was literally giving birth at St. Mary's and stinks were raised all over social media about mm. your infamous January 2013 article, I believe it was from then. And I was really shocked by the silence around this issue from people who I thought at the time would be well-placed to speak out because I mm -hmm. thought, well, where are all the academics? I mean, surely people in academia, if not humanities departments and surely biology departments would say, you know, speak out on this. And it was interesting to see that academics only spoke out on their private blogs or on underground sources like yes. blogs. You had very little speaking up about that mm -hmm. issue. And it was six months before when I was in Soho at a Pride event that I found out from one woman about what was going on. And of course, my initial reaction was, no, you know, this couldn't possibly be happening. So when the incidents happened around yours and Julie's articles, I was like, wow, things are getting real here. And that's when I started to dive into the gender issue. Skip mm. to recent events. And it seems that one of your former colleagues feigns not knowing what a woman is. But when it's time for finding the reproductive class, he certainly <laughs> does. Yes, isn't that isn't that a surprise uh, that wombs somehow exist inside bodies? You know, I mean, it, you really can't kind of make this stuff up, can you? Um, I mean, I hope that we don't only, you know, apart. I mean, oh, we're kicking off we, with this. Don't worry, we don't the, have to stick the, to it. The initial uh, thing that you refer to as well, you know, it. The thing that my offense, the, 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 my crime was one line in a, an article. It, it actually not in an article. It was an essay commissioned for a book. And of course, nobody at that time complained. And it was when I was just talking about the idealization of the female body being that looking, you know, having big breasts and slim hips like that of a Brazilian transsexual was the line <laughs> that I used. And that was the offensive line because for some reason, although actually there were Brazilian transsexuals on, on the catwalk, you know, I mean, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. was literally happening. But this was the offensive line because the, the when this piece was reprinted in the New Statesman, because for some reason, me saying this was an ideal, what I was trying to say was the ideal body shape for, for the average woman is not achievable. Um, and and of course that body shape's changed since then because then now it's become more you know like Kardashian and stuff. But anyway, um, when I when I so I wrote that, but for some reason uh, this was then I was accused of I mean literally accused of the high murder rates of transsexuals in Brazil, 
you know, this this leap was made, this jump was made, and it was well. Not only was it wrong, um, I mean, it was it was it was. It was if I found it hard to take seriously and having spent my life as um I think you probably have uh, always having been on the side of I guess you know fighting queer for queer rights and gay rights and AIDS activism and all of that stuff I I mean I think how we use the word queer in in the early 90s and how we use it now may may be different but having seen myself on the same side as the people who were gender non-conforming I was now apparently responsible for their murder uh and 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 it and it and it just became crazy I mean just the craziness having Julie Birchill write what she did did not exactly help me but you know there you go. That, <laughs> that, 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 I mean I mean my view on that is you know I often don't agree with Julie but um I think if you commission Julie Birchill, as I said at the time, you know, like it's it's like if you commission her, it, it's like saying, "Oh my God, she set off an Exocet missile, and I just wanted a little sparkler." You know, <laughs> you know what you're gonna get. So, you know, they got it, and then again, the editor, uh, the published, the editor, I think, did withdraw it in the end. But it was at the so so I had had some dealings, I guess, with some of the trans stuff because I'm. Um, uh, friends with Julie Bindle, who had all had been, I think she'd said something, and I knew that this world was happening where you were very much seen uh, as somehow I became labelled as a as a radical feminist or, or a turf, and I'd never seen myself actually as a radical feminist before. Uh, this is something that. Um, a label that I wouldn't probably use now but um the the world was sort of um dividing up and suddenly um trans so-called trans rights which I'm still I'm still not exactly clear what that actually means um was a thing that was more important than everything else and all discussions since uh since 2013 on feminism seem to end up being about trans people now i have got not a thing against trans people at all trans people brought me up i lived in new orleans when i was young they they looked after me my god they were like my family there's nothing i'm not i don't even want to use this word transphobic because i think it's become absolutely meaningless as i think the word trans has now because trans now means everything from you know uh, somebody who gets off on cross-dressing to a fully transitioned person to somebody who just has a feeling. I mean, can we even define what trans means now? It, 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 I am astonished by some of the people who call themselves trans because, I mean, it would enable me to call myself trans. It requires so little, if you see what I mean. Well, yes, and as you know, I, I don't know when you lived in New Orleans, but I grew up there after the age of 10. And it was a very, still is, a very multicultural and, yes, if you're going to categorize gender, multi-gender yeah. environment. I mean, Mardi yes, Gras, yeah. hello? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 and always has been, I mean, in a lovely, in the best way that I can say, genuinely kind of quite 
queer, quite pagan, quite old, quite, uh, you know, that the whole Lord of Misrule kind of idea is the gree gree, you know, the whole of New Orleans is, is that, you know, and so, um, yeah. And they don't have gender reveal cakes. They have cakes with a baby inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, right? the whole gender reveal thing is, um, but I guess so, yeah, that stuff, that stuff happened. And then I kind of felt I got away from it. And then, of course, you don't get away from it because on social media, you know, any, yeah. oh, I, oh, I did, I did lose my temper. Also, I, I did lose my temper and tell someone to, you know, uh, I can't remember exactly. I said, I'd cut their dick off. I think I told them to, I think I told them to do that. <laughs> Um, and you shouldn't do that because that tweet will then be sort of literally, it's probably framed in somebody's house right now as we speak. <laughs> you know, uh, it, these things never go away. Um, but I have actually been, uh, there were certain people who were trying to make bridges, build alliances, conversations. They still are. And I remember going to meetings with trans people. I remember being at a meeting where Julie Bindle had ap apologised for what she said she felt she'd been kind of quite cruel in her remarks and um it, you know it was a uh, it was a meeting of of people trying to kind of like come to some terms about it and and this was long before the the argument that erupted again i guess around the gender recognition act which has brought brought it all up again but um I had, it was before I was talking, I knew I was going to be talking to you and I was thinking about how long I've actually been interested in, in this issue and I have not actually been that interested in the actual issue of trans people, but I have since the early, uh, late 80s, I was writing uh, essays on postmodernism and asking what happens to... I called them the new hysterics with male bodies and optional female subjectivities. So I think I was on to something, if you see what I mean. I was asking what happens to bodies, to flesh and blood women. And I was at the time, at the time, completely obsessed with Prince. I mean, who wasn't really? And 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 I, I was all at that song, If I Was Your Girlfriend, you know, which is an absolutely great song, but that's that's a man who could occupy every possible position i am your you know i'm your sexual partner i'm your girlfriend i'm your best friend and it, and there's something kind of fantastic in that song but what isn't in that song is what does the girlfriend want if you see what i mean and that's what i've always wanted to ask about in my in even in my you know the most popular stuff i do what you know it is the classic thing what what do women want? Where where is female desire in this conversation? And uh, I still think I still think that's still the question that all of these debates um, are, are kind of avoiding in many ways. I'm like you. I I avoid them. I've been talking a lot about them in the last few weeks because of what happened with Biden in the U.S. Certain events, also even Kira Bell in the U.K. and other events. And 
I was talking to someone recently and I said, it's really my least favorite subject. I think it derails us from other important issues. For her, it's a very important issue because it's half the population. And I said, well, I agree. It is. It's just sometimes I get really annoyed at having to explain what are truisms. And I think sometimes when we get caught up in having to discuss the fact that sex is immutable, I sort of don't feel comfortable having a conversation that sort of steps us back hundreds and hundreds of years against science. And mm -hmm. I also think that when you said, you know, what does she want? This entire movement until recently was based on a hyper speedy advancement of men's desire to see themselves in certain ways. It, it we were their mirror. And so if you remember Nan Golden's infamous show, later book um, of her photos that dealt with drag queens and the drug scene in the East Village called I Am Your Mirror. Yeah. In recent years, I've been saying to people, I am not your mirror <laughs> as a refusal of this because I. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I will yeah. never know what it's like to feel like X. I happen to be me. Uh, I won't know what it's like to be or feel like Suzanne Moore, nor would I make that claim. I can't even say I feel like a woman because I know that biologically I'm a female, sociologically uh, that is my place as it were. But I think the problem that I see women having and many men as well against, it's not trans people, it's the an ideology, a regressive ideology that's sort of advancing very hmm. antiquated gender norms. Oh, absolutely. I thought yeah. we had just sort of like, let's move on. Let's move about, you know, if you want to wear a dress, wear a dress, right? I mean, this this is where I, you know, I feel like, you know, everything is upside down. What is being sold as radical, especially to, to young people, is in fact a deeply conservative ideology about the self, the true self, uh, um, the self as sovereign as opposed to social uh, you know you, I feel that this is the most conservative time uh, for for gender gender roles I mean I've never you've never seen so much stuff that's pink or blue or women that have to look, look a certain way I mean even when, when I'm when I was young I mean some people had short hair some people had long hair some people had curly hair whatever right now I mean girls just have long hair <laughs> you know it's just there it's in every kind of uh, in every kind of way uh, gender has become more and more prescriptive and yet we are continually told that this is a movement that is freeing us of this um, and yet there's no I know that you've spoken to some really, really fantastic uh, people. And I mean, anyone who's studied uh, any philosophy, any psychoanalysis will, will question this notion of finding the true self and whether the true self is sexuality anyway. Um, I mean, I, I question this. Uh, uh, I mean, Foucault certainly does, doesn't he? I mean, is 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 sexual is sexuality the truth of anybody? I happen to think it's not. Um, some people do. Is is there an inner self that has to be revealed that is in the wrong body? I don't think there's such a thing. I mean, just to 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 submit to this ideology 
requires me to let go, <laughs> really, of, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, existentialism, uh, Freud, you know, loads of it. And, and I don't understand why the left in particular, and people who are Marxists actually, can 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 go with yeah. this because this is an anti-materialist ideology right i mean if if you cannot see women as a sex class if you do not see them as embodied if you do not see our labor um and yet you, you're telling me you're a marxist i mean i find myself i felt because you know obviously people will now say that anybody like me or or you are kind of somehow like horrible right-wing christians or something when we're in fact the opposite <laughs> but i find it very very weird that you know somebody that who i wouldn't agree with somebody like zizek or somebody you know who i would, would to yeah. me would be like really sort of hardcore basic marxist is he is is calling it out though you know he is at least calling it out and saying come on a lot of this stuff is it's kind of rubbish but but the younger younger people who who are just vaguely left they don't they also seem to regard sort of feminism now as a kind of whereas i regard feminism as a movement about achieving power they regard it as a sort of almost like a, a charity about where everyone just has to be nice to each other <laughs> which is not my but my feminism isn't really that nice i don't think and well need feminism be nice i mean when you mentioned julie bendel making an apology for something she had written this was way back yeah um, why should she or you or anyone have to be nice in the sense of again when i talk to a lot of they're not only trans people a lot of the trans advocates are not trans and i say to them well you're advancing very right-wing notions of gender and what you are suggesting is so detached from historical materialism, it would be like me telling you, oh, you're poor, just identify as rich. Do you understand yeah, how unhinged this is? Yeah, and then, I mean, you know, uh, we can't go, uh, and the same, you know, all the arguments around race. I mean, we wouldn't, we, we back off there because it, that's a taboo. I mean, you know, you cannot, identify it as one race if you're another and we know what happens if people do that you know they're considered completely uh, fraudulent and 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 yet for some reason this this bit this stuff is um we are told is the new kind of radical liberation but i don't know who it's liberating i mean i don't know who, who it is well yeah some men but the thing is is this i think there have been a lot of misaligned assumptions about the left both even myself i've been guilty of this i was just gobsmacked by the misogyny on the left when this issue came to my door i wrote about yes. it and was threatened yeah. to death yeah and then even editors i was writing pieces i won't mention who but it's easy to find out and i was writing pieces for them and they we would have discussions about it and they would be like no we'll support you not to worry we get complaints but this is so insane like they're citing foucault but foucault was against having the individual rubber stamped by the institution i'm quoting an editor and i'm like yeah 
So mm -hmm. this is the thing, as you know, the Pluck, Rose and Lindsay book came out and Savage Minds, we ran a piece by Heather Brunskill Evans about this because she, and then she and I, a few years ago, we've spoken about this, all of these people coming out saying, well, Foucault's guilty of this. He's the godfather of the queer movement. And I'm thinking, wait a sec, John Hinckley Jr. ascribed his attempt to shoot Reagan yeah. to Jodie Foster, but we're not holding Jodie Foster culpable here. And I think it's really important that we understand no. that one, uh, the misreadings of Judith Butler are many, largely because her first book, Gender Trouble, is incoherent. And I say that as someone who's taught it. And secondly, I think a lot of uh, these cultural gender studies classes in the eight, late 80s and 90s were feeding a kind of what would I call it? A tautological thinking, where if you just learn the vocabulary and the word salad, then we get into that. It's like a polka after a while. Like people were dancing the word salad polka in a lot of the graduate classes I was taking in New York. And there was a will to have everyone clued in about what theory was, how theory might be conceived differently from philosophy. But even Zizek and, and Derrida, mm -hmm. and there were loads of people in New York circulating mm -hmm. from France directly to New York City. It was the era of the star system of getting hot shots to come in. I studied with Zizek. I mean, I, I was very privileged in a way, but at the same time, seeing the aftermath of what was in the early 90s, queer theory was not about changing your body. Butler never once mentioned this in Gender Trouble. Gender Trouble was very much, it was a queering of the body, but it was about the performative of gender as opposed to the assumptions. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's, that's just so key to, to me, what you're saying, because um, I, I identified with that moment and that time and it never occurred to me that it would you know that people would actually uh, 13 year olds would be having mastectomies you know as a result of this I I I, I, I believe I I subscribe to the kind of this idea of gender fluidity and 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 self-expression and stuff but the I mean what you're saying about Butler um who I've also taught, who now says I'm ignorant. I mean, I find, you know, there wasn't there wasn't that much new in Butler, was there? But um, the idea of performative, yeah, performativity is is an interesting one. But the question that will always arise for me is, uh, if gender is a performance, you know, why are we compelled to keep repeating that performance? And and she doesn't really answer that, but. I mean, an essay that I go back to, which is long precedes. I mean, I think the women around Freud, actually, the early Freudian women were so interesting on this stuff, like um, the masquerade, you know, jo Joan Riviera, or, uh, I mean, I think they were on, they were onto it in a way, you know, in a, in a way that was, makes more sense to me than, 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 than Butler. And I think it's almost not Butler's fault that she became the sort of totem that she did. It seemed to explain, I guess, a lot of the, the, the fetish stuff, the drag stuff, all of that. But it mutated, didn't it, into something. I, I mean, I taught in um, uh, American students for a summer term uh, around that time. 
And it was really funny for me, I mean, as an English person teaching them, because they were into that theory, but they never understood. I mean, they weren't stupid, but, but they never really understood how much of that French post-structuralist theory or Judith Butler came from having from from a post-Marxist perspective, because they'd never read Marx, if you see what I mean, because they'd been at school in America. So it's it the the theory was kind of free-floating. The theory wasn't attached to class or, or, or to even to bodies. Exactly. It was it was somehow it was somehow full of fascinating and interesting ideas and especially in terms of culture art music performance you know you had artists who really could represent these this wonderful idea of everybody can be everything but then for me quite quickly as I said I, I saw it as uh, a kind of gender tourism um, and you uh, and and yes a performance but uh, I didn't see um, I didn't know that uh, I would be like you receiving death threats I did not know that the language of some trans rights activists would be that of men's rights activists I did not know that would be end up being very much the same uh, and having experienced it I can tell, tell you that it is and I can also say that a lot of these people themselves are not trans and uh, do do that do that cause nothing but harm they are simply uh, misogynists there are a lot of hanger honors and mras in this movement and so it's hard to tell virtually who is who yeah you just don't know you just don't know and i mean and then and then also of course the way that the whole argument is focused is always focused on trans women and very very uh, and not really on trans men at all um that already tells you something about where who's propelling discourse, I think. Well, also the fact that in recent years, with the 4,000% increase of referrals of adolescent females to the Tavistock, we're seeing now where more and more girls are the ones doing the surgical and medical interventions and the mm. males are not. So it's who's doing the heavy lifting. Uh, this, this uh, I find, you know, I think this is one of the reasons I started writing about it again, and obviously that caused a lot of problems, because I was, because when I was at the Guardian every day, I was, I was also, I did a, I, I did a course in, um, I wanted myself to to be a therapist. I probably, I probably can't be now because. I probably couldn't affirm everything that everybody says <laughs> about themselves, <laughs> you know, because actually, usually if you have um, somebody in front of you who's who's self-harming or has an eating disorder, you as a as a therapist, you don't affirm them in that. I mean, you would if somebody who weighs five stone tells you they're fat, you don't say yes you you are do you know what I mean yes, so yes. but but so if you have a, a distressed 14 year old possibly self-harming possibly with an eating disorder possibly autistic you uh, your job would now be uh, uh, to sort of say yes well if you think you're a boy then then you are you know I would find that uh, you know as I say I find I'd find that hard to say but the 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 distress of teenage girls in their bodies um never without you know we, we, this has gone without the trans stuff is 
is a massive problem and anybody who works with kids will will, will tell you that and and they are just you, you know it's a huge it's a huge problem to be in a female body and to feel comfortable for a lot of a lot of too many of our young women and the answer to that question is uh, the answer to their distress is not um surgery or puberty blockers or that that it it's probably you know a lot of support and a lot of help that nobody really has the money to to give them but the uh, you know the idea as well that these children um are all threatening suicide well do you know what as a as a if any decent therapist will ask a distressed person at some point do you ever think about not being here and a distressed person will nearly always say yes i do so even when we you know the, these figures of thrown around about suicidal ideation I question them, not because I don't think there's a huge amount of distress out there, not because I don't think that trans kids and trans people have a hard time, but just the, the level of um, kind of emotional blackmail that is used to say that if we do not do these things, these, these, these poor children will, will um, kill themselves. I mean, I find, I find that whole part of the, of uh arguing for trans rights oh yeah just really what's what where what are the ethics here what are the ethics of the professionals oh and how, why i started talking about it was because every day because people did know my position i was on a therapy course and obviously i was hearing um stuff that was going on nothing that went on the in the tavistock had been unproblematic. People had been trying to say stuff since 2005. Uh, pe people had been telling us at the Guardian, telling journalists, um, people had wanted to investigate. It was only the BBC and the Times did. The fact, it was one of the reasons that I got so frustrated with the Guardian. The fact that you have people who have worked there for many years, that you have got doctors writing to you, nurses, I can't say the word, endocrinologists writing to you, people telling you that after only um, three sessions, that's three 50-minute sessions, someone can be given um, hormones. Uh, the fact that the Guardian did not want to investigate that particular story because it did not fit their ideology really made me question as a journalist you know what was going on because of course if people come to you with a story about an institution and things are going wrong and you have the whistleblowers there that is the story that you, you must do and yes it will be uncomfortable but they just they just didn't want to do it because um it doesn't fit it doesn't tick the boxes of what they think their readers are or want and this was very much influenced too by what was going on in the states because the guardian is in direct competition with the new york times and they consider that their younger readers you know wouldn't like anything that was perceived to be anti-trans right uh, and i just i mean i still do i mean every day i get letters from people who i'm not like emails really from someone who's working nearly always in the public sector 
their teachers, their social workers, their nurses, or, or and they, you know, they're having their class, say a little boy wants to wear a skirt and they think that's perfectly fine and they're quite happy for that to happen, but they do not want this kid whisked off, you know, kind of labelled as, as anything. And they do not want to speak up. They are scared. They're scared that they will lose their jobs. They're scared that they will be, you know, seen as transphobic because that's the word that's thrown at you. It's like being called a racist in in the in in the in the in the way that there's nothing that you can ever say or do to change it once someone's called you that well it's an awesome machinery we've been handed because i wrote my first piece i was warned by many women with whom i spoke and i interviewed for the piece they said be prepared and i was thinking yeah 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 i had no idea at no. all how bad it was going to be because it got so bad I had to leave the country. The rape and death threats were so unbelievably mm. bad and the Met did nothing. And I was offered a lecturing gig in the summer that year in Armenia. So I went and I left for two months because I was, I felt like I was going crazy. You know, I, I couldn't leave my house without being worried that people were going to gun me down or something because the threats were really frightening. They are really frightening. And I, my, my, you know, I had threats to my children. I still do. I'm recently again, um, as you say, the police don't know what to do. Um, and I felt, I, and I, you know, no one from the paper ever, ever offered any advice or protection. And, uh, and I just, I think you're just expected to kind of live with it in a way. And, and, yeah. and, and, and it's one of the things that, how how has it come to this situation where women feminists are the enemy and we are threatened with violence and really sexualized heavily sexualized violence and yet yet we somehow the people that do actually rape and kill trans people and women get off scot free i mean it's it's i it's a sort of displacement of where this um, anger should go somehow. I, don't, I find it, yeah, I find it very, I find it, you know, some, just like, I don't know, I'm sure you have this, like there are days where like I can wake up and it, what, you know, I'm all right and it, it can like wash over me. And, and there are other days where, you know, I just can't read this stuff or think about it or because otherwise, I'd never write another thing and it just paralyzes you and it and it is designed to silence you that is what it and it for, I think for most people it 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 does silence them it, it does around 2002 I was picked up by friends at the train station in Woodstock we were driving back to their house and they had two kids in the back seat as well with me and someone said the word gender and I said, no, you mean sex. And my friend said, no, it's gender. And I said, well, you're talking about my male, female, that's sex. And they said, no, now we use the word gender to describe male, female. Gender has meant masculine, feminine for most of the 20th century. How did it now become this politesse of avoiding, you know, how Americans are known to be prudish, so we don't have to say the S word, but we can say gender. And I think that kind of maneuver is what has ushered in some of the madness because 
Gender Treble was about looking at the domain of feminine and masculine performativities. It mm. wasn't about what a woman really is. And it was querying the body, the performative body, as it were. So yeah. I'm thinking, is, is theory mostly to blame for this or misreading theory? Is this, many people have theorized that this is about elitism because many of the theorists and the people who push this ideology are very privileged people. They can be white or not. I mean, the people who started yeah. Black Lives Matter are pushing this and they're definitely not white, but they are definitely upper middle class. Is there something elitist about pushing an identity that you don't have to worry about jobs or housing, but call me Zer? Well, I mean, as a critique of identity politics, you know, definitely, as you said at the beginning, you know, you can't ID your way into sort of, I'm a millionaire, can you? I mean, it, it the, the refusal to acknowledge the just basic kind of class. Um, but I was thinking when you were talking about, um, you know, where does it come from? And I don't know, I can only just make some sort of guesses. I mean, I, I see it very much as a backlash against feminism that's been going on for about 10 years. Um, I guess I see it in this country. Um, I kind of associate it with I don't know it just in my mind it's particular images of women so of what of what women should be so I see I guess I saw David Cameron's wife Samantha Cameron who's perfect and mute uh Kate Middleton perfect and mute do you know what I mean that these these very beige kind of conservative women suddenly become um in in sort of that's this very old, almost 50s style of women, womanhood comes back. Um, but I mean, we go, I, I go back, I suppose we go back to the, these old kind of questions about how does um, a woman, I mean, it's de Beauvoir, I guess, isn't it? How does a woman become a subject? Like, again, what do women, um, because, if we look at the, I, I don't want to be only gloomy and I don't want to be only pessimistic. I have daughters, you know, and and, and, and um, we disagree and, uh, you know, on all of this stuff and we talk about it. Um, and I don't want to see uh, feminism has, uh, as only, uh, you know, sort of feeling. I try to remind myself often of what's, changed and what's been good and I would say that a lot of the advances in in my lifetime that feminists have made have been actually around the body it's so it's things like uh, being able to talk about periods it's being able to give birth and perhaps have a bit more choice about that um it's being less shame uh, uh we can talk about menstruation we can talk about menopause it's understanding that motherhood is perhaps more complex than it is meant to be. You know, so, so for me, some of the, the feminism that has really affected and helped and been beneficial to all classes of women, not just the elite, has been a very embodied feminism. Um, 
uh, and, and I would say, you know, whether we're talking about menstrual huts in Nepal or FGM in, you know, Somaliland or whatever, the feminism that I want to talk about is very, um, uh, is very attached to actually what it is to live in a female body. Now, I live in a female body like you. I have, I have no clue what cis means, but I know I'm not because I've never ever felt the inside match the outside, and I don't know anyone who does. I mean, I think this is, I think the idea that you might feel this is so far from any reality that I can uh, understand at all. That um, I've, you know, I don't think the inner self uh, or the the thinking mind is gendered in that way but i i think it's just really important that if feminism is a movement to empower i don't like that word empower but you know to make things better for women then you know the things that we can talk we need to talk about like rape um equal pay violence against women all these things you know that we can talk about them in a way that isn't just this elite theory, although I'm very interested in theory. And when your friends start talking about gender, for instance, in the car, if, you know, if you say to the average person, and polls will show this, if you say to most people in this country, you do support trans people and trans rights, the majority of people are pretty liberal and say, yeah, sure, because, you know, that's the kind thing, right? If you say, how do you feel about somebody with fully functioning male genitalia being in a changing room with your daughter or they they go hang on a minute you know so it's it's when you sort of get and I know we're always accused of being obsessed with genitalia and all of that and uh, yeah throw that one at us I don't care but the fact the fact is that the the politics of this you know, they can, you can be Judith Butler in a kind of, and live in this elitist kind of way uh, and, and write books that are deliberately difficult. I'm sorry, this really is one of the reasons that I, I've had to leave academia because it's deliberately difficult when, when, when what she's saying is quite simple sometimes, you know. Um, um, I find that, I find this desire to not communicate a very strange performance, but, um, but if you want to make political change then it's you want to make that political change for the women who probably aren't going to read Judith Butler I mean when I read here and I I, it, I mean it's, I think it's even worse in the states the high maternal death rates of black women for instance here it is shocking. It's absolutely shocking. I didn't know it was. Um, I knew about the states. I've only recently just read um, that you know black women in England giving birth are four times as likely to die as a white woman. Now that's still rare, but it's still terrible. You know. I mean, um, and so these are the sorts of issues that I want. To be addressed and and they don't really to be honest involve any discussion of trans identified people do they i mean they are <laughs> and yet we must now not exclude them somehow so must even in a discussion about maternal death 
of black women we must talk about birthing parents or, or something you know we must the the language the, the language has become erased and 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 this is my resentment to this trans uh, about this trans ideology is is this um this is pushing this shoving shoving away shoving out the actual everyday normal ordinary but dramatic and important experiences of women and it i i don't understand like you how it's happened you're listening to savage minds and we hope you're enjoying the show please consider subscribing we don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you now back to our show also the fact that they think they've reinvented the wheel it's amazing to me like when you see these posts on social media or elsewhere sometimes in the guardian articles you know she's so brave because dot 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 everything every other woman has ever done but they don't get a story about them and no this is not bitter grapes i am so sick of us being fed absolute bullshit like oh my god no women have done that and like oh, does no. anyone remember pantsuits like we broke the gender <laughs> binary you know what i mean i saw your reference recently in a piece you wrote to Leif garrett you made me laugh with that but i recall like in the 70s and 80s people would get hairstyles men would get the Leif garrett hairstyle women would get the dorothy hamill later the princess diana haircut remember that right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. of course people of course. weren't like identifying as them it was just like people weren't insane they knew they weren't Leif garrett or princess diana but somehow we have an elite class of people trying to hang on to the most obscure references and backhanded maneuvers that are just theoretically impossible, but yet it's being taught for individuals to have themselves called men or women. And yeah. we are relegated as cis. My argument is simply the only cis people I've ever met in my life. I've met a few. They're the trans people. They're the very people who say they have something to correct and they set out to correct it. They're corrected. They're cis. Yeah. I don't correct myself because A... This is not a postmodern, like, although On the Road was considered postmodern at the time, but this is not a post-postmodern version of On the Road where I am seeking my inner Bukowski or inner Burgess or what have you. <laughs> I'm just me. And like most women of far lesser means than myself, now with COVID bringing a lot of us to our economic knees, it's like, we just want to go about our lives. We want happiness and we want to be people too. And somehow yeah. the trans movement has encapsulated every bit of misogyny that I thought I had seen, but I hadn't. And it brought the worst back. Like I prefer Archie Bunker. I really do. I would prefer that any of these men tell me to get them a beer and tell me to zip it or what have you, because so much of what's happening in the name of wokeness and of progressiveness is recycling the narratives of old with a twist you and i cannot talk because as you mentioned earlier someone will kill themselves someone will threaten to kill themselves or we will be reminded that children will one day read our words and threaten to kill themselves or they'll threaten to kill us 
or somebody will threaten to kill us you know me yes. and you i mean yes. for sure but uh <laughs> we, you know um it is because i mean it's that incredible the you know the stonewall tactic of the actual debate itself or discussion is is a denial of, of trans people's lives and it is it is violence and i mean you've got to admire it as a tactic because it has worked yeah. it has shut down i mean i have uh, you know emails from doctors uh, who 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 don't like to say male and female now and and have been told not to i mean doctors i mean it's 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 it's, it's mm-hmm. that kind of uh, level of insanity but i mean what do you feel optimistic about? Because sometimes I think we've got to a peak with it now and it, it can't get any worse. <laughs> and, I, and I think that when people begin to understand, um, like that you cannot say the word women, quite a lot of women who are not particularly politicised around this subject just say, well, yes, well, yes, hang on. I'm not a cervix haver. You know, I'm a woman. Um, mm-hmm. it, seem, it seems to me that... It, it's a basic kind of common sense but but the the capture that you you've talked about in institutions and ngos and i mean i was so shocked i'm still shocked by you know the the amnesty poster when women were out on the streets complaining about um the the tightening of um well basically making abortion illegal in poland Mm -hmm. Uh, amnesty produced posters saying we stand with the people of Poland uh, because they couldn't say women and you were like well which people I mean are you standing with the government I mean like what the hell does this even mean <laughs> I mean so you, you you sort of you kind of end up with stuff that is absolutely meaning meaningless you know and I mean most most just on a sort of most health professionals I mean what part of London I live in I mean there are many many languages spoken and it's really important for women to go and have have um, cervical smears and they you know they need to be told that women need to come in and they they do not need to be told in Turkish the word cervix because they won't it won't you know it won't work so I think you've got real frustration in the profession sometimes about just the language because most people actually just do want to do their jobs they want to use language that works they want to be inclusive um and this and you know if anybody knows that they've got a cervix uh, or a prostate gland it will surely be someone who's transitioned because they would be surely more aware of what their bodily parts were than almost anybody else don't you think oh well yes except we're not seeing prostate havers come in for your exams no (laughs) no we're not and I don't suppose we ever ever will and I I mean it's always interesting to hear um trans men talk about um some of the issues the health issues that they have and even you know when they're extremely happy with their transition you know this is this is this is a big deal this is these the effects of this stuff are, are long term um but i the, but i guess you know in the states where because we're told you know why why are why are english why are british people you know so transfer all us english turfs 
uh, an American feminist, you know, always, you know, Rebecca Solnit and all that. I always feel like I, I always feel you know I'm sorry I'm going to be a bit you know sort of a bit of a stroppy Brit here but I'm I'm a little bit like get your own house in order you know in this country healthcare is free abortion is legal and free if you want to transition it's not easy but it's free you know do you understand uh, uh, in America of course you are being sold every kind of operation as soon as you can possibly afford it. Um, and and every uh, hormone that you want to take as soon as you can afford it. Um, so you don't even have maternity leave in the states. So can you know? Let 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 let's um, let's not sort of get into a battle about who's the best feminist. But let's understand that uh, women here were just not happy with um, being asked to give up single sex spaces and being told that organising around um, our sex-based rights was to be a member of a hate group, which was, as you know, part of (laughs) the Labour Party leaders' pledges. And I mean, that just caused lots of people I know, lots of left-leaning people, lots of Labour women, trade union women, people who spent their entire lives fighting for gay rights, often lesbians themselves, where did that leave them to be told that they were now a member of a hate group? I mean, it, this is where you you just feel, my God, you know, this this movement is actually just now expelling um, any awkward women to a point where you're just going to have them these these men and their handmaidens, you know. Um, well, I'm worried about what will take over as well. We're going to just make all these weird analysis that ha- hold no water because Foucault was very focused on deconstructing the mental hospital or the prisons or the Catholic priests hold over the body and being able to codify it with certain virtues. He would have been against this, but okay, let's just make up new fictions. And I get worried that now both in and out of academia, the fictions are spiraling out of control. Yeah. And then, of course, the news last week about Foucault allegedly. Yeah. Um, again, this is all very weird to me. And I question this Guy Sermon, a French American scholar who claimed that in 1969 Foucault had practiced pedophilia by paying for little boys. He had so many details in there in his description. And then on French TV, I went and saw all the clips. I'm thinking, hmm. Why is no one criticizing him? Like, if I'm going to sit on something like that and for 50-something years and not go to the police, that's odd. At the same time, as much as I believe in women's rights and that obviously we all know rape and pedophilia, well, pedophilia is a form of rape, is bad. Why is it that that's what people are taking away from this? That somehow this man is being retweeted and no one's very critical about the fact that he's just put out a book. It's very good PR. I mean, why are men being forgiven for covering up? We saw this with Savile as well and what the row with the BBC. In fact, we see this every time. What happened with Jeffrey Epstein in the States? How many people knew what he was doing? Men yeah. cover for men. And then yeah. we're going to attach ourselves to, well, I'd like to see evidence of Foucault having raped children instead of a one-off accusation by a guy selling a book. Sorry, I'm a bit cynical here. And this then got retweeted by some feminists as, see, 
he was all for child rape. And I'm thinking, oh, and this is what they're talking about. The uh, Affair Versailles of 1977, where three men were put through the court process for having sex with minors. And Foucault, along with many others, <laughs> his signing onto a letter that asked for the lowering of the age of consent in France. And this was all linked to the very infamous case in France that many people are unaware of, a literature teacher in France who had sex with her student. She later killed herself, but that kicked off many years of discussions within France of at what age can adolescents consent to sex. And Foucault was involved with this because gay men were not allowed to have sex at the same age as heterosexual men. In many countries, in the UK, Canada, and Western Australia, there were separate ages. It was 16 if you were straight, 18 if you were gay. So that's what the conversation was about. So I do get a little annoyed when I see complete misrepresentations. Again, pedophilia is thrown out. I take pedophilia very seriously. As someone yeah. who's worked on child trafficking for many years, there are certain things that I can't unthink or unsee because I had to think, you know, think about it and see it in my work. So I, I don't like to mix the two. I like facts on the one hand. And on the other hand, when you have a document in 1977 that was published in Le Mans, I think it was January, and it was signed off by Sartre, de Beauvoir, Louis Aragon, André Glucksmann, Roland Barthes, yes. Francis Ponge. I mean, you had the who's who of academia and the arts signing on to this because the court case of the Affair Versailles came on the heels of many years of gay men fighting for the right to have sex at the age, let's say, of 16. And I think a lot of this gets decontextualized when people run about the Twitter sphere saying, but he was a pedophile. And then you talk to people and you ask them where he wrote this that they claim. And you find out very quickly in a few tweets, they haven't even read Foucault. And I get, Ugh, because I don't want to live in a world where if things are going to get better, you're talking about, you know, what, what's the bright side of all this? Are things really getting better? I don't think they're going to get better if we start making demons out of people like Foucault, who, as Heather Brunskill Evans wrote recently, he's the solution, he's not the problem. We have to sort of go back and ask why institutions or why worse, why today we in this panopticon that he spoke about, everyone's trying to out the other. You're a transphobe, I'm a transphobe, get us canceled. They wrote your editor, they wrote my editor. Like we can't recycle that now. And I think it's very irresponsible because I'm a big believer in as much as possible in objectivity we need to talk about facts here and where yeah. we can go to set the record straight. And let me footnote this all by saying in the aftermath of statues being toppled in the UK, in Canada, in the US, will we have any statues left if we're going to cancel yeah. everyone with a bad thought? Last summer, Emily Bronte was accused of supporting slavery. You know, like, will it ever end? You know, I mean, what you're arguing for is that, you know, people are complex, we are contradictory, you're, we, we, you know, to argue for nuance and to try and do it on social media <laughs> is, is all, you know, it's a sign that, of, that we've all gone a bit mad, I think. But, you know, to say, yes, people are of their time, they do these things, uh, 
I mean, it's a bit like you, you know that the 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 Hannah Gadsby take on Picasso. You know, I is is that you know she can never look at another Picasso knowing how badly he treated women. Now, I I don't I I don't have that take. I mean, uh, for me, most literature and most art would be out of bounds if I only like looked at things that you know where the person had been a very pleasant and nice man. You know. So, so I think already as a woman, you know, you kind of, you kind of filter stuff. Um, I, you know, this that Foucault story, I, I, I don't know enough about it. I mean, it seems to me if you want to damn Foucault on his personal life, you, you pretty already don't even need to go near the pedophilia. Actually, I mean, I think that yeah, I, I don't think he was the same. I'm, I'm very glad he. He wrote what he wrote. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's it's very odd, isn't it? I mean, Altazay uh killed his wife, didn't he? But um, I, I I was taught. I mean, I'm still grateful for what I, you know, learned reading his theories. But <laughs> no one, I don't think he's going to trend on Twitter. But you know, uh, it, it, he he did. He killed his wife. I mean, uh, he's. We pushed her out the window. Um, uh, I think he strangled her or pushed her. Out. Uh, but he then I think he one of his another intellectual covered up for him, and he just went into psychiatric hospital. But yes, yeah, something. Well, he basically got away with it. Yes, he and it was just known. Um, and I am not in defending any 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 of this or anything like that. But um, I'm I'm just saying that I yeah I was shocked that suddenly that you know. On, on this one accusation Foucault who was you know again I read the father of queer theory and I thought no no I don't think so um uh I I mean aren't we allowed at this stage of the game to to pick and choose the theories that work for us that help us that enable us to understand the world and for me Foucault is very important remains very important because he talks about power in a way that is much more subtle uh, uh, than the way that many other people do. So, for, uh, you know, the way that we, we give away our power and we take our power and the, the web of it, um, I find fascinating because the, the older I get, the more I see, you know, even when this talk we're having about how we didn't think this these levels of misogyny would come back and we almost preferred the old misogyny to the to the, to the new misogyny it really it's a bit like when Foucault said you know how the Victorians never talked about sex but in fact they talked about sex all the time you know it's 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 what's repressed and what what comes back so I yeah I'm I'm interested in in um theories of power and that's that's almost feels just me saying that uh, as a feminist feels almost strange now because I'm not meant to be interested in power I'm meant to be interested in being kind and nice you know as we started talking about at the beginning I'm meant to be interested in sort of just life being sort of nicer for women you know um and 
and and that sort of feminism it, it came a lot from the states i think you know that individual choice you know i'm having my breasts enlarged because that empowers me you know all that stuff that individual choice feminism it was all it, it never it, it gave way very easily didn't it to this um what we're seeing now because it it never made women be able to identify um a, 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 in a collective sort of way and it's still very difficult to do that and and the other very hard thing for feminism is and remains and all is the complicity of women in their own um oppression and you know when we see it happening all around us and this the the misogyny the internalized misogyny of people who su support some of the the most extreme trans activism is is is, is very very difficult to deal with and I, I i see it in young women but i don't see i don't want i don't think this is only simply a generational thing i think i think there are a lot of factors at play here and i think that um many many young women have been brought up in such a kind of in a and it's a society where their entire worth has been reduced to femininity, that perhaps they are looking for any way out, you know? Um, I sympathize with them actually, as much as I might disagree with them. Back to your notion of how therapy would traditionally not confirm what the subject says. I was thinking mm. about this in terms of traditional femininity and masculinity in the sense of back to me, New Orleans, 1981. And this was Duran Duran. A lot of funny groups were coming up at that time where men didn't look like the men of 20 years before. And men were very, what today would be called gender fluid, yet there was no need for them to call themselves, like David Bowie didn't have to go around with a subtitle saying, I'm really a man. People knew that was David Bowie, right? Yeah, yeah. Even when he did his whole shoulder pads, remember, in the 80s yeah, and yeah. China Girl, like, it was still David Bowie. It wasn't Ziggy Stardust Bowie. And I'm wondering a lot these years about how this came to be that people are so willing to confirm a delusion in the sense of, I know that what I'm looking at is, let's say right now, it's slightly snowing where I am. And that's snow. If someone tells me that that's, you know, fire, I would rightfully disagree with them. And mm -hmm. I, I fear that we've entered into an era where what the individual's feelings are matter more than what our eyes or ears tell us. And I've had this happen in many occasions around gender and other issues, but we're supposed to kowtow to someone's desire for us to be their mirror, basically, mm. rather than have the good old exchanges pre-internet when you could sit down in coffee shops with a cigarette, speak all night, even smoke indoors and disagree and mm. order the next course, order another cappuccino, whatever. And I think we're moving away and we've moved so far away from this ability to disagree agreeably and to move conversations forward Everything today is lockstep within, these are my pronouns. I forgot to ask you yours. And these are how I, you know, this is how I need for you to see me. 
And, you know, and I'll give you an example. I was pregnant with my daughter in 2012. I was DJing at Vauxhall Tavern. And they said, oh, these two people will help you with the cables. Ask one of them. And so I asked one of them and there were two butch women. And so I asked one about the cables and, and she said, well, I just have to tell you something. I'm a trans man. And she started to explain her identity. And I said, oh, I understand what you, I understand this. I wrote a whole book on this issue. And, and we started speaking and she turned out to be from Palestine. Oh, her parents were, but she was born in Palestine and migrated to the UK as a young child. And it was very interesting for me to have this discussion because it was very friendly once we could bond over, once we switched to Arabic for one, everything shifted. There was less of this narrative of selfhood. It was all about her parents and her growing up and it was like a normal conversation. And so that made me think, and over the years I've thought back to her and you know, I used to give people the pronouns and all the terms they wanted and I've stopped because oh. I think that was a slippery slope that created the mess we're in. And this is the thing, like yeah. we all know, I know trans identified people, but I think we're not necessarily being kind in recycling the narrative. Obviously, if someone's happy doing X, Y, or Z to their body and they're an adult, have at it. But yeah. I worry that now, our cultural malaise is focused around, well, first, that we have a malaise in the first place. There's always a problem. We're always in search of ourselves. Again, back to Kerouac's The Road. It's, that was the most macho book, right? But this is now so navel-gazing. And our selfhood has to be confirmed in the other hearing our sad story of loss and then our finding our identity. And the identity is found as long as you echo the terms that I'm giving you my identity. And so this feels to me like we're living in a public psychoanalysis session or something. I'm sure. Well, I, well, I, I imagine that you've fallen out with people over this. And I certainly have um, people who no longer want to be friends because uh you know um because obviously when i'm when as soon as i finish talking to you i'll i'll be going around murdering some people you know because that's what i do apparently um but the <laughs> a recent one not really a close friend obviously said to me literally said this to me um i cannot talk to you anymore unless you say eddie Izzard is a woman Okay. And I said, well, I could say that, but I'm not going to because he isn't. Okay. And if that means that you don't talk to me, that that's absolutely fine. I mean, it was it's batshit crazy. I'm sorry. Eddie Izzard may call himself a woman. He can think he he he, he can talk this rubbish about girl mud boy mode whatever he can think whatever he likes but um no I'm sorry he's not a woman and I would could not would not say that to to a friend of mine and it's sort of that it's slightly this that McCarthyite language you know you have to say this thing and you just like no I'm not going to if I'm with if I'm with anyone who wants to be called she or he or I'm pretty polite. I'm pretty a polite person. I mean, all the trans people I know um, have asked me. Oh, one of one of one of my friends, uh, who 
uh, said, uh, can you call me he? Um, I said, oh, thank God, at least it's not they, because I find they really difficult. I said, he, I can do. They, I, mm -mm. I just, I've just, just, it's not, it's not good. But I, I will call most people what they want to be called, really. But um, I, you know, just the mantra, the mantra, trans men and men and women, and what, you know, we're all non-binary. I find this increasingly meaningless. I find no definition of non-binary that everyone doesn't fit into. I mean, I don't even understand it because I thought that when I was involved in the kind of sexual politics, cultural politics that were interesting to me, the whole idea was that the binary was a social construct that had really often very bad consequences for both genders, for both men and women. It pushed them into stereotypical roles that were not good for either of them. So the idea would be to, yes, to, 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 um, to challenge the binary, you know, to challenge the binary, that, that, that's it. Not to replace it with the new binary, which is trans and cis. I mean, that's, that's, that, doesn't, that doesn't push anything forward, does it? It's not progressive. And that's the main thing here, that we are sold this as a progressive politics when it is the most hyper-individual capitalist kind of move that anyone could make. And, oh, God, sorry, it just mad. It's no coincidence that this ideology was born largely through, well, my theory is very different than Lindsay's and Pluckrow's. I don't think it's French theory. I think this has a lot to do with American systems of how even they don't access a health care in the ways that many yes, other people uh, not, do. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's a rubber stamping that goes on in order to have certain procedures done. Certain identities must be categorized under the DSM or your health insurance will not cover it. I mean, if only, if only back in the day, in the 50s, that the David Reimer incident hadn't happened and doctors would have said, oh, let's leave this boy to live his life with a badly circumcised penis right? Instead of the machinations that began the era of transsexual surgeries. And it's, mm. it's troubling to me that in all this, the notion that there is a true spirit to match the outside. I mean, this is the heart of medieval religiosity, that we mm. have to match our inner spirit to our outer and have them be cleansed, you know, as it were. No, no, I mean, this is, this is why, yeah, this is why I say, you know, I don't believe this, I don't uh, feel it, I don't think it, it requires me to give up um, any, any kind of um, idea of existential thought that I'm interested in, it requires me not to understand any psychoanalysis, it requires me not, not to, as you keep saying, not to believe my own eyes or trust my own actual subjectivity um, and it, it gives me no space to, for me to express myself as a woman in a woman's body uh, and, and this is this is my objection I mean for someone what well, I must I must uh, you know say I'm being contradictory here because obviously I'm getting space because I'm talking to you and we're doing a podcast and stuff but but I mean the, the the movement the movement if it had its way 
would not have us talking to each other. I mean, that's just a fact. And it's a horrible fact. And uh, if, if, if we stop talking to each other, I mean, I, I would say to any, anybody who's listening to this, who, who does listen to this, that you probably feel a bit, you know, fed up and, and alone. And actually, the more you talk about it, the more you will find that many, 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 many other women and other men too, of course, feel like this. Um, and that we are not this horrible uh, minority of bigots who want to stop a small percentage of people living their best lives. We're just simply people who want to centre women in, and children at the heart of much of our activism. I mean, that's how I would put it. Absolutely. I mean, we need to be talking more with each other and this culture of stabbing people where it hurts, like getting them deplatformed, fired. I've met one person who lost his housing for hosting a feminist event. This oh. has got to stop. Oh, it's just terrible. I mean, you know, the offending article I wrote in The Guardian was in defense of um, Selena Todd, who is a professor of history, working class history at Oxford, walking around with security guards. Kathleen Stock now is having a very hard time at Sussex. Um, most people won't have heard of these um, academics until their students or somebody, um, you know, complains. And uh, yeah, I, you know, the idea that women professors need to walk around with security guards surely I mean where well wherever you are in this debate surely that must make you think hang on a minute that's not right I mean there's just it's a kind of uh, uh no I mean I could go on for ages what is the way out I mean you wrote me about academia versus journalism and I'm wondering if maybe journalism is one of the possible culprits in this, in the sense of yes, I, well, I, publications that run the affirming pieces and the brave yeah. and proud pieces, but might journalism also be a way out possibly? Not just the type you do, but are editors cluing in that maybe, and not just about this subject either, maybe we shouldn't be giving the people what they want as it were? Well, I hope so. And, and, and it's, it's a sadness to me that I can write what I write, want to write and say what I want to say in the right-wing press and not in the left-wing press. I mean, that to me, that's not, that, that's what's happened. And, and um, you know, so the Times and the Telegraph, the Spectator will cover this stuff. Um, the Guardian won't. Um, the, B the BBC is a bit scared because of it's, it's stonewalled up. Um, I think that if people um, want, you know, I think editors are, are watching a lot the response of, of, of their readers uh, and, and it's a sort of consumer-led industry in some ways. So um, I think that journalism, good journalism will go to these difficult places. And I think we all have to uh, ignore Twitter a bit more because that's just not real life. And that's just, that's where a lot of the really extreme activism goes on and uh, maybe sort of slow, slow the pace down a bit. Um, I also appreciate it when 
when when when I mean a lot of men just don't write on this subject because they feel it's somehow not their subject it's become a feminist subject and when they when they do they don't get anything like the kind of threats that somebody like you or you you would get but um I would like more men to write about it you know the serious political commentators and actually I think now that that is happening a bit because uh, because of what's happening in Scotland there's a lot of uh, you know uh, did um a lot of women in Scotland are really uncomfortable with the new hate crime act uh, which protects trans people but not women you know it's just usual you know, usual kind of mess and you can see it's done out of this sort of you can see it's done out of this sort of well-intentioned ignorance of men really um because uh, and I mean also I would like some of the um the politicians, the male politicians, to, to protect the women in their own parties. Uh, not protect, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't think it's men's job to protect women. I mean, simply just to speak up. So, so if Rosie Duffield, for instance, who's an MP for Canterbury, says, I don't like to be called a cervix haver, I'd like to be called a woman. I'd like another male Labour MP to say, yeah, I think she's right. Instead, you get a lot of people, younger Labour activists, saying she should be expelled from the party and taken for re-education, which, of course, doesn't sound at all um, <laughs> Stalinist or anything, does it? Um, I mean, so I think there's a... I think there's support, much more support out there than people realise. Um and people need to find each other and, and know they're supported. Uh, because the other thing about this all, we spent ages talking about it, is I never, I have never, from the beginning of all this, and as nasty as it's been, I've never thought this is one of these conflicts that's not resolvable. I think it's, I think it is fairly resolvable. I mean, we, you know, we, we're talking about small numbers of people, uh, the stuff in refuges, prisons and sports, you know, all this stuff has to be on a day-to-day -day basis resolved. I think people deal with it. It can be, you know, I think I think we, we've got to almost just turn turn the volume down a little bit. And I think that that the trans people who are happy to work towards doing that, we make alliances with and um, it, it, hopefully, you know, hopefully, it will it will just be sort of less of a, a division but I, I still I don't understand why this you know this particular issue just just has kind of grabbed everything but I, I think it's again it's to do with social media because I think saying that you want trans rights and everybody's a horrible turf who doesn't is a form of activism that doesn't require you to actually do a thing it doesn't require anything, does it? I mean, the activism that changes things, whether it's the abortion laws in Ireland or something, you know, I knew people who were working on that for 30 years. I mean, it's day in, day out, day in, day out, you know. I mean, activism is boring. It's a slog. It's going to meetings. Just going on Twitter and saying, um, you know, that 
we are we are a horrible you know a horrible turf or sort of whatever we are um uh, requires nothing and it does nothing it does nothing for the cause it it doesn't you know it's 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 a fake it's a fake activism a lot of this stuff now well it reminds me of inquisition type techniques we're supposed to confess and you see it you see people confessing i did not i misspoke let's stop apologizing but the deeper issues go to how a medical pathology was devised on the heels of women being both the symptom and the cure i'm speaking back to the 50s and the fact that even today even with the onslaught of media mind you a lot of it's sponsored suzanne i mean I wrote a piece last year about the Guardian taking a quarter of a million in dollars to run trans oh, that's pieces. Right. That's and right. th this is really not, that's the tip of the iceberg. Uh, many others are doing work on what's funding this lobby from the ground up. It's a multi-billion dollar lobby. You and see, we that's... need to be really worried about, you know, I did an interview with Claire Fox the other day and she said something I really like. She said, we need to be careful about who these people are that are whispering in the politicians' ears because they are not being transparent about their political motives. They're pushing something on people like Biden who believe, oh, this is progressive. So he runs with it. He's being ill-advised is her contention. But these whispers are not accountable. They are not elected officials, yet they have enormous power. No, no, you're, you're completely right about that. And, and, and again, that's a story that a good journalist should just break wide open. Um, and, we, you know, I mean, Mermaids has gone very quiet uh, and people are starting to understand what Stonewall is but I think that I guess a lot of institutions because they have got schools they've got hospitals they've got the BBC they've got the Guardian whatever that maybe feel a bit embarrassed you know I mean because all all your training comes via Stonewall then you get to be a Stonewall champion and it's a it's a kind of pyramid uh, sort of selling scheme in a way isn't it but um and I know, and also, you know, the average person thinks, who hasn't looked into this, wouldn't particularly have reason to think, would think that Stonewall was a, was a, was a respectable and liberal and great organisation, because it was. And they think the same about amnesty, you know. It's very hard to challenge these big, um, these, these big names, but this yeah i think i think some i think i think it as it becomes known because i think we have an idea that lobby lobbyists are always sort of these um somehow connected to the right and i don't think we understand very well how they've infiltrated the left and i think that's probably what's happened you know what is it about our bodies that going back to owen jones that people like him maintain that sex is much more complex, Suzanne, than you and I in our little heads could understand because we just learned to read a, a century ago. And so these men will inform us that we got biology all wrong, but they somehow, and it's just a coincidence, but they somehow know exactly where to go when they need offspring. 
<laughs> I know, I know, I know. You just can't. Uh, you, yeah, I mean, I don't think. I, I guess. I guess the shock of it all is, you know, the the misogyny that that is not. I guess it's it's just not really hidden anymore, you know, and. I'd, some people say, well, it was always there and then um, and now you can see it. And other people say social media has like let it all come out. And I don't know which way around that is, but I do know that it it's increasing. You know, it's it's very obvious uh, if you look at somebody like Owen, um, who I knew, who, um, you know, just simply will not listen to women who disagree with him he has a few women he will listen to because they think he's great but he just doesn't listen to other there's several there's several I mean there's many many people I could name like that um and just this inability to listen to women is 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 like you say the same inability to you know you see snow outside and I tell you well no that's not snow you know it's just I will not, I will not hear this. I will not see it because it does not fit into things that I want, uh, how I want the world to be. And it's, um, it's a very difficult um, position to argue with, isn't it? Because it, you're already arguing with someone who isn't going to really respond to evidence, actual evidence. And we just have to keep going. I mean, I, I, I do think, I do think that a lot of, scales are falling from people's eyes and then you see it I mean you see something like mum's net which is always dismissed as you know just awful middle-class women but I mean they get it they understand it they're, they're these you know most people who read a little bit about it uh understand it and most people actually I think make a real distinction between being completely kind civil and tolerant and everything to any trans person in, in their lives but also not wanting particularly uh for women to give up their rights i mean i think i think these are not this is not incompatible you can be absolutely on the side of women and you can be absolutely making sure that trans people have the best health care and the best you know the best possible lives the least discrimination possible but they actually, in law here, have those rights anyway. You know, that's right. They do. That's right. They do. They do. But try telling people that. <laughs> well, yeah. Try to try telling. Just... When I that's why I think we start when people say I'm for trans rights. I often say which ones. You know, which right do you want them to have that they don't have? And beyond self ID, I which um, they can't. I mean, there isn't one. Why has it become this social change is now the bad thing? Because those of us who are called right-wingers, even though we're not, we're the ones on the left saying, let's make society better to embrace these people. Meanwhile, the trans movement, which is extremely right-wing in ideology, is pushing for this atomization of individuals, individual identity, approbation of individuals, is saying, no, we've got a cure for that. 
That's where oh. I'm not so optimistic that the two sides can meet because they are so diametrically opposed. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with, I agree. I, I'm, I think you're right. I, I think in terms of ideology, you know, and one, let's face it, is a, is a big business. I mean, it's not, the cure is gonna cost you, isn't it, right? So it can't, they can't meet perhaps uh, in an ideological sense, but I think on the ground, I mean, when I say on the ground, I just mean in day-to-day -day existence. I mean, already, you know, we do, you know, pe people are having to deal with uh, transgender people in prisons, in refuges and stuff and 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 make accommodations and accommodations are made and it, it and you know it 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 can be uh, sorted out i don't i don't know how it got to this point where the answer i mean i don't even know if i believe in a thing called gender dysphoria i mean i don't like yeah i mean i don't i don't really know if i accept that as a yeah, you know, as a, I mean, I'm questioning it. Is, is all I'm is all I'm doing. But, 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 but the, but the, the, I mean, I can't answer your question. Although it's a question that I ask, a, apart from saying, this is to do with the collapse of the left, the collapse of collective politics, the collapse of solidarity, the collapse of, um, and a kind of intellectual stasis. I see. Um, because there was a time where I could say to someone, you know, okay, I'm from this class, you're, you're, uh, or this, you know, I'm white, you're black, I'm, I'm straight, you're gay, whatever. But I have, I, I have, um, I have either solidarity or compassion for your situation, and you can have it for mine. But I don't have to be you, you know, I don't have to pretend to be you. Um, or to have lived your life, but but we can make you know the collapse of the the acceptance of difference. Uh, but you know that I can people can be entirely different to me, but we can have some solidarity, some alliance. That seems to me uh, the that's the huge sadness to me that the, the fragmentation of the solidarity that happened. Say I would say around uh, the beginnings of queer theory and. Uh, I would rely. I would know that if I was going on a on a protest for abortion rights, that my gay male friends would be there with me. Just as I would know, uh, you know, in terms of AIDS activism, I'd be there um, because we were on on the same side. We weren't the same people. We didn't want the same things, but we had solidarity. And I think there's the sort of there's almost just a loss of faith in, in that um, ability to, to gather together. And I don't want to blame it all on identity politics, but identity politics has made everybody just be like, the, it, can, it can end up as everybody is just the center of their own sort of uh, oppression. And they feel that more strongly than anyone else's. And, and you now get you 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 get into that bizarre sort of competitive oppression, don't you? Sometimes where you think, but there's no, there can be no politics 
at all anymore unless I'm allowed to identify with someone who's very different to me. What we're seeing today is an unraveling, and it's been going on, of the left-right perspective. No longer is the yeah. left, as you mentioned, concerned with the working class issues, the poor. I'm seeing more of that concern, especially during lockdown, bizarrely, from the right. We're seeing the left being the class that's like, ah, lockdown, get an Uber, order your Deliveroo. And I'm thinking, whoa, has the left become posh? I think to ask what the left is now, because, yeah, obviously we've just had massive state intervention because of COVID um, and how does the left then kind of reconstruct itself in opposition to this? Uh, these are these 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 are really really big questions. And uh, meanwhile, the left is busy expelling heretics who think that um, there there is such a thing as biological sex. Uh, it's almost <laughs> like you know, let's 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 not deal with the, the really 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 big things, but. Yeah, for some time, I think the left has been quite stuck intellectually. I mean, my, my, my daughter, my middle daughter went to Goldsmiths and I was expecting her. She studied very much what I studied only 30 years later. And I was shocked by that. Um, not because I thought what I studied was not good, but I thought I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, apart from doing a lot of stuff on decolonization, which, which was good, I felt that a lot of the stuff was just reruns and the the I wanted I wanted to know who the new kids on the block were if you like in terms of theory and stuff and I didn't I um I didn't I, I didn't I felt like not a lot's been happening really intellectually that we're a bit stuck um although I mean you get writers that come up who package it in a way that makes it interesting for a new generation like somebody like Mark Fisher who really you know interesting writer but basically just takes his cultural references uh, from popular culture and rewrites sort of Frederick J Jameson or something. But I think that maybe it's different in Europe and maybe it's different in the States, but uh, we're still talking about Foucault, you know? I mean, like who, who's, who's the new, who is the new Foucault? Who is the new, you know, Barth? Who's the new uh, Baudrillard? You know, like, who, are we, are we going to go back to these old guys? always you know oh i i don't i believe I, that there must be some really interesting thinking and, and when i was doing my therapy course i was reading i was going back and reading a lot of the old you know the existentialists and and thinking god you know we're so we're going to go back and what and then i guess i was thinking to myself i guess when i get into the second part of the course there'll be a lot of this you know new people writing this stuff but but it isn't. But there weren't. There wasn't. You know, it's just you go back to you know that you just go back to Heidegger and Sartre and all of this. And and there was nothing wrong with that. I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. I really enjoyed like reading Freud again uh, because it made me see. I guess it made me feel how modern those people were, and and I see that they were radical and that we're not living in a radical time. Uh, I think we're living in a really conservative time. <laughs>